Well, if you're able, I would encourage you to stand once again as we read God's Word from a portion in Matthew chapter 6 as well as a portion in Philippians chapter 4. So hear the reading of God's Word, first from Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to the Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now let's turn over to Philippians chapter 4, in which we'll be reading verses 1 um, to 9 here this morning. Um, from Philippians, hear these words. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to go to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So far, the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for your word. I pray that you would go before us as you have throughout the generations to mold us and shape us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. We're starting off a series uh, in the Lord's Prayer this morning. Today is a little bit of a precursor, but I hope that what this series allows us to do is enter into a time that we will understand more and more, perhaps even just the fundamentals of what prayer is. So the question that just jumps off the page or is in our lives, and it's a question I have asked myself many, many times over the years, is a very easy and simple one. What is prayer? What is it? How do I pray? How often should I pray? These are the questions that circle around this thing called prayer, aren't they? These are the questions that we ask ourselves all the time. How often we feel that if we don't have the answers to these very questions, then our prayers are just not adequate. They're not somehow good enough. We're we're missing the mark, or we haven't yet quite cracked the code of what it means to really have a good prayer life. Well, that leads into a whole other set of questions, doesn't it? Because then the question is, well, what is a good prayer life? What does that even mean? Do I have one? If I don't have one, how do I get one? Well, what kind of Christian am I if 
my prayer life isn't any good. Whatever that means anyway, right? All of these questions and so few answers. So the question remains, what is prayer and how do we define a good prayer life? We desperately want to put prayer in a formula, don't we? We desperately want to to put it into some kind of recipe maybe, a kind of recipe that makes sense to us. I'm not very, oh, excuse me, I'm not very good with recipes. That's why I don't bake very much because it's just a little bit of this and a little bit of that and it turns out a bunch of gobbledygook and it doesn't work. When you bake things, it has to be done in order, right? You have to put this ingredient and this ingredient and this ingredient and that just goes against my whole way. It doesn't work for me. But we want to do that with prayer, don't we? Well, if I put in the right words, I put in the right amount of time, I put it in some kind of presentation to the Lord, and we let it cook for a little while, then we hope that on the other side of it, we're going to have a good life and results will come and everything's going to be great. Isn't that what we want? That's what I want. That's what I want for my prayer life. Just put it in a nice formula, put it in a recipe, and then I will somehow have a better prayer life. Is that what it means to pray? I wonder. So what is prayer? Let me give you some of the comments from the leading experts on prayer. What do you think prayer is? It's spending time with God, says Katie, age five. It's talking to God when you talk to a friend, says Charlotte, age 11. Do you like to pray? I love praying because it helps you be peaceful and calm, says Alice, who's 10 years old. Yes, I do because I like spending time with God, says Ollie, who is an eight-year-old little boy. Whatever you think of prayer, those are pretty good answers, especially from kids. They get it. They understand. In particular, I like Alice's response from this 10-year-old girl. She says, I love praying because it helps you be peaceful and calm. Turn back into your Bibles with me at verse 7 of Philippians chapter 4. We could go through all kinds of seminary degrees. We could get doctorates. We could spend our entirety of our life in church. And a 10-year-old girl gets it. Verse 7. This hinges everything that we say from here on. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love praying because it helps you be peaceful and calm. Paul, in this letter to the church plant in Philippi, is saying to them that the peace of God is the result of prayer. To be peaceful and calm is a result of prayer. Do you want to know peace? Do you want the anxiety of life's struggles and torments, tension and worry? Do you want the heartache to be relieved? The anxiety to be removed on some degree? I'm not saying it's just going to go disappear. But the answer is to pray. It's to pray. The kind of peace that's being described here is is not that God grants all of our requests. It's not that he grants everything that we pray for. It's not that he's some cosmic vending machine. We've heard this before, right? He's not some cosmic vending machine where we put in a prayer and we press a couple buttons and the formula is right and out drops an appropriate bag of goodies of the result that we want from the formula of our prayer. That's not what it's saying. The peace that comes from prayer is the fact that we have made our request known to God. 
It's that we're in this relationship with him, that we're in his presence, that we make our requests, our hurts, our joys, our sorrows, our laughter. We, we make all of these things available to the Lord. We pour out our hearts to him. And Paul says, how do we do that? We do it with great thanksgiving. Not in worry or fear or anxiety, but thankful that the Lord is our God. And we have this opportunity. So prayer is our transparency with the Lord. Prayer is our humility before the Lord. Prayer is emptying out ourself before the Lord. I love our dog. Her name is Jazz. She's a black and white, black lab, Australian shepherd mix, and she's a great dog. We really like her. She's the third dog that our family's had. The first dog that we had was a really great dog too, a big black lab that was a wonderful companion to three little boys who would climb on him. He would let them ride them. And there's even stories I could tell you later about how this dog and Max would conspire to one another to get goodies off of the counters in in our house. It was quite a scene. I'll tell you about it later. The second dog that we had was a beautiful English Springer Spaniel. He's a beautiful dog, but he was nasty and mean. And he ended up having a tendency to bite little kids. So I don't know where he's at right now, but we'll, we'll leave that to your imagination. Then we have Jazz. She's a great dog. She's a loving dog. She's calm, obedient, and friendly. And she's also a bit neurotic, but we love her because of that. But she has this tendency, especially I think when, when I come back into the home, she, she cowers a little bit and she's a little bit fearful. But what she does, she often rolls on her back. And she just wants you to scratch her belly, right? And what, why wouldn't you, right? She's smart enough. Hey, why, if you could just lay on your back and someone would scratch your belly, I think we would all do it. She loves to have this, but she knows in that moment that nothing's going to hurt her. Because rolling on the back for any animal, a dog, a cat, or any animal, that goes against everything that they're wired to do. They're wired to protect themselves. They're wired to to put their claws out because if their stomach and their, and their chest is exposed, that means they're vulnerable to an attack. But here she lays on her back knowing that she's not going to be hurt. She's not going to be in danger, but rather something good's going to come to her in that moment. She empties herself from the protection mode because she knows everything is okay. When we pray, we empty ourselves into the presence of the Lord. We set down all of our walls. We set down our claws, our fists. We set down our anxieties, our fears. And we empty ourselves into the presence of the Lord because we know it's going to be okay. We're not going to get hurt. We don't have anything to fear. We're in an environment of trust and faithfulness. So when we come into the presence of the Lord, we expose ourselves Everything that we have in thankfulness is what Paul says. So when we pray honestly with the attitude of dependence and trust, the focus then shifts not on what we are doing, not on what we have done, or not on what we're going to do, but when we are exposing ourselves in complete submission to the Lord, the focus shifts away from us, doesn't it? And the, and the, and the focus shifts to what the Lord has done what the Lord is doing, and what the Lord will do. You see, in prayer, it's it's not about us. It's about what the Lord is doing, has done, and will do. So we don't have our claws out. We don't have our fists up. And so what does the Lord say? 
through Paul to this church at Philippi of the result of that. The result of this kind of prayer is peace. Is the peace that passes all understanding. So then we can say to one ourselves, is that, if that's the result, then let's pray about everything. Let's pray about everything all the time. Why wouldn't we? Let's pray about everything. But then let's look further into this letter Paul wrote to this church, to this church plant about prayer. This morning, as we enter into this series for the next eight weeks or so about the Lord's Prayer, I wanted to prepare us this morning for the time in the next few weeks when we dive into the Lord's Prayer. It's football season again, and I know many of you are just as excited as I am that football season is here. High school football started on Thursday nights, college football started last night, and the NFL, yes, starts next week, and I can't wait. But we think oftentimes that, oh, these guys just show up and they play a game. No, they've actually been working at it all summer long. There's been lots of energy, lots of practice put into this so that when they show up to the game, they know what they're doing. They know how to do it. At least they're supposed to know what they're doing and how to do it, but I still yell at the TV because they don't know what they're doing. But they're supposed to know what they're doing because they've been at it, and they've been working at it and practicing at it. So this morning is our preseason game, if you will. We're going to look at prayer and understand, here are the fundamentals of what prayer is, so that when we enter into the, to the series next week, when we actually dive into the Lord's Prayer, we have the fundamentals. We have the baseline of how is it that we pray, what's our attitude when we pray, and how do we go about prayer. So then we ask the question again, what is prayer? Well, I've given a little bit of groundwork, I think, in, in what prayer is and about our attitude when it comes to prayer, to prayer. But I want to go a little bit further and see what Paul says about prayer in chapter 4 of Philippians. I want to give, give you the outline here this morning of what Paul says prayer is. Prayer is confidence. Prayer is comfort. And prayer is character. So here, listen for those words, prayer is confidence, prayer is comfort, and prayer is character. So what is prayer? Look at verse 6 with me of Philippians chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's there where we begin this journey into what it means to pray. Paul instructs this church plant to not be anxious about anything. Rather than be anxious, pray. Pray with thanksgiving. Empty yourself in the presence of the Lord and pray. Are you worried this morning? Pray. Are you stressed this morning? Pray. Are you scared? Anxious? Pray. The church in Philippi was no doubt struggling with anxiety. They were in fear. They were in fear of their lives being taken from them as new Christians in a world and an environment that was anything out for their good. They were literally afraid for their lives. They had reason to fear. They had reason to worry. They had reason to be anxious. Because at any moment, if they're found out, they, they could be killed. And here Paul says to them, in those moments, pray. 
and pray with thanksgiving. Paul's attempting to soothe their fears, to soothe their doubts and their worries, and to provide them with a much-needed sense of confidence. How is it that you can pray in the middle of life-endangering moments like they were in? Many times we pray, we enter into our prayer with a, with a bit of our fingers crossed, right? When we pray, we, we just kind of, we hope, and just maybe God will hear me. And maybe if God hears me, he might answer me. And maybe if God hears me, and maybe if he answers me, then maybe I'll get what I initially asked for. Isn't that how we normally enter into prayer? I, I, if we're honest, if I'm honest with myself, that's, that's how I often pray. Lord, please hear my prayer. And if you hear my prayer, will you answer my prayer? And we say, well, whatever, you, whatever your will is, Lord, but really deep down inside, give me what I want. This is how we pray. But Paul is saying that prayer is a continuous activity. Pray in every situation at all times. In other words, pray all the time. Don't stop. Don't stop praying. And when you pray all the time with thanksgiving, there are things that happen. There's a result that takes place. There's this ongoing and continuous activity of prayer, this prayer with thanksgiving in the presence of the Lord that breaks the cycle of worry, fear, and anxiety. How? Because we have confidence of the result. But we live in this world, even we today live in this world where stress and anxiety, fear, they, they, they envelop us. Here's some statistics from a, a medical article that I read this week. 43% of all adults suffer adverse health effects from stress. Sounds a little low to me, actually. 75 to 90% of all doctor's office visits are stress-related ailments and complaints. Stress can play a part in problems such as headaches, high blood pressure, heart problems, diabetes, skin conditions, asthma, arthritis, depression, and anxiety. Here's one. The Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, that wonderful federal organization that we all love, declared stress a hazard of the workplace. Stress costs American industries more than $300 billion annually. It's a big B number. The lifetime prevalence of an emotional disorder is more than 50%, often due to chronic untreated stress reactions. We live in a world and we are controlled by stress, anxiety, worry, and fear. And Paul says we have a free entrance into the very throne room of heaven at all times, in any time we want, pray. I'm preaching to myself this morning, trust me. We have at our disposal a God who wants us to come into his presence. He wants us to tell him. But the confidence that we have in prayer is what Paul says to us in that verse. The confidence that we have is when we shape our lives into lives that are praying continuously with thanksgiving, Paul says we have a natural reaction, a response, a conclusion, and that is that we have peace. The result of being in the presence of the Lord is that he gives us his peace, the kind of peace that passes all understanding. Worry cannot take care of tomorrow, but the Lord can. 
Worry cannot take care of tomorrow. And as we pray, those worries, what the Lord says, diminish. Therefore, the confidence comes not from if, whether or not we get what we prayed for. The confidence in prayer doesn't come with whether or not he answers us or hears us, answers us, and gives us what we want. The confidence comes that we already know the result. We already know the result of prayer, no matter what it is that we pray for. The result, Paul tells us, is peace. So if we know the result, then we have the confidence to go in. If you were to play a game and you knew that you were going to win the game, you would play the game probably a little bit differently. You would pray with tremendous confidence knowing that I cannot be beaten. I will win. And when we pray, we know the outcome. No matter if you're praying for health, for stress, for help on an exam. When we pray continuously with thanksgiving, the result is peace. But it's not only confidence that the Lord gives us when we pray. When we pray, He says He gives us comfort as well. Confidence is good. We all like confidence, especially in times of worry and anxiety. But if we're honest, most of the time when we pray, because if you're like me, we don't pray all the time. We don't pray continuously in thanksgiving in the presence of the Lord. We pray when we have to pray. We pray when we're scared. We pray when we're worried. We pray in crisis. Or we pray in thanksgiving for when things have gone really, really well. But oftentimes when we pray, it's because we're hurting. So when we can combine the concepts of verse 6 with the concepts of verse 7, we have an opportunity to see not only are we given confidence, but we are given a comfort as well. So the Lord knows that our hearts and lives are full of temptations. He knows that our hearts and our lives are full of hurts and pains. And he knows all of these things about us before they even occur. And he also knows just about every other emotion that we can somehow come up with, right? Our hearts and our lives are really efficient machines at creating worry, anxiety, fear, and strange emotions. So because of this reality, the Lord says that the peace that passes all understanding has a wonderful attribute. This peace also gives us something. This peace actually guards our hearts. This peace guards our hearts from these things of anxiety and fear and worry and hurt and pain, all of these things. I wonder if maybe I could give you another illustration, hopefully, to, to allow us to see these things a little bit better. When I thought about this verse, and I'm trying to think of a really amazing and incredible illustration to give you to describe this, this comfort or this confidence, I, I googled all kinds of stuff, and I just couldn't find anything. And then I just sat back and I said, okay, there's, there's an obvious thing going on here. The comfort is, is that we have something that guards us from ourselves. So what does that mean? Well, I've given you the illustration of our dog Jazz already. So let's just continue on with that illustration using my strange, weird, neurotic dog. So if you come to our house and you come through the front door, you ring the doorbell, she's going to go bananas. She's going to bark, 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 bark. She thinks she's really tough, but she's not. So you walk into our door and then everything's fine. However, if you were to walk around the outside of our house and she's in the backyard and you try to go to our gate, I would suggest that you not do that. She actually, I don't, I don't think she would hurt you, but she's going to, it's, it's a fierce bark. 
because she doesn't know who's coming to attack her people, to attack her place, to protect the people that she loves. So she's going to let you know, don't come back here, and she's going to bark, and she's going to guard us. That's how she's wired. She guards her family, she guards her house, she guards her, protect, her property. So here in verse 7, Paul is saying this peace that passes all understanding guards our hearts. It's that dog. When stress and anxiety and fear approach the gate, that peace barks and barks and barks and barks and barks. Don't come here. You're not welcome here. It can't happen because this person has peace. And this peace that passes understanding guards your heart, guards your life, guards your emotions, guards you from coming in and and hurting this person that I love and care for. The peace of the Lord guards us in these anxieties from the fears and the hurts and the pain. The Lord's peace comforts us in these moments and protects us from ourselves. Not the big bad world out there, But this peace that passes understanding guards ourselves from ourselves, from falling off the cliff into worry and anxiety. If we pray at all times and in all situations, and we have the peace that passes understanding, anxiety and worry cannot and will not touch us. Now, don't hear me say that we're never going to be fearful. We're never going to have anxiety because we just know that's not true. But if we pray all the time in all situations, The result is peace. As we know, when we've been worried about something, we've been anxious about something, and that particular situation eases itself out, we breathe a big sigh of relief and it's just, it wasn't that bad. And we're comforted in that moment because the anxiety flows away, the fear flows away, and we're peaceful. This is the comfort of the Lord's peace. To know that it's protecting us, guarding us, watching over us. But the comfort that we experience is because we still are racked with sin and misery, aren't we? And we wonder and we worry. But this peace has an origination point. Peace isn't originated out of our prayer life. It isn't manufactured by our really good prayers or how often we pray. This peace has an origination point at the cross. That's where peace comes from. The kind of peace that passes understanding is the kind of peace that is a result of two enemies that are bitterly fighting one another. Lay down their arms. Lay down their weapons. And they go back home and they're restored in their relationships. So imagine we prayed for Russia and Ukraine this morning. Imagine if this afternoon we turn on the news and we see that they've laid down their weapons. A peace treaty has been struck. And the leaders of these two countries are able to somehow, in an amazing and miraculous way, restore a relationship between two countries that's very intimate and very close. In our sin and misery, God says we are enemies of the Lord. It's Russia and Ukraine fighting with one another. This is the illustration that he uses. At the cross, Jesus takes all of that warfare. He takes our brokenness. 
He takes our sin and our misery and he takes it upon himself. He takes all of the condemnation of the Lord that's directed at us upon himself and he nails it to the cross and the weapons are laid down. And it's not just that we have a peace treaty, but Jesus gives us his righteousness. Jesus gives us his peace through his grace and his mercy and his love. And our relationship is restored with the Lord God Almighty. And so when we talk about peace, it is actually that kind of peace. There's no more war. There's no more fighting. There's no more fear or worry. The hostility is removed. And oh, how we would love to know that kind of peace. Because that's the kind of peace that ultimately comforts us. The kind of peace that we truly desire and need as people. And it's this grace, the grace that Jesus did in, in his person and his work on the cross, now provides us with that ultimate, not only confidence, but comfort. Comfort to know that we're not at war with God and that we do have access to the very throne room of the creator of the universe. Let's just noodle on that for half a second. The Lord wants you in his presence. This then leads us to the final concept of this chapter 4 of Philippians. If we look at verse 9, we see some more really interesting things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So what is Paul saying? Is he being arrogant there? No. He's saying he prays all the time. And his life has been threatened repeatedly. And he says, do that. Practice that. And as you practice this kind of prayer life, the God of peace will be with you. So not only do we have peace, but we have the God who originates and creates peace, who gives us peace. We have that peace, but we also have him. And that's the joy that Paul is saying. But we can't just sidestep something here. And in our circles and reform circles, Presbyterian circles, we tend to shy away from commands and directives in Scripture. We, we, we tend to say, Egh! but we can't sidestep this command. For what Paul is saying to us here this morning, he's saying, practice this. Pray like that. Pray all the time. Pray without ceasing. Pray with thanksgiving. And when we do, we're confident of the result. The result is peace and the presence of the Lord and his comfort. So let's just acknowledge that for a moment, that we're to be that kind of people. Because of what Jesus has done for us, because he gives us this peace, this confidence and this comfort, we are to be that kind of people, the kind of people that Pray at all situations, at all times, in thanksgiving. As many of you know, our son Dexter was part of um, Drum Corps International this summer. And he marched with a band called the Crossmen. And I, before he did this, I had no idea what this entailed. I didn't know the hours. I didn't know the schedule. It's absolutely amazing. And I don't have time to, to tell you the entire schedule this morning. But just know that this band of 200 and some people 
would practice 8, 9, 10, 12 hours a day on their performance. And they would do it day after day after day. Most days, after they rode on a bus all night to their next location, they would get in a gym and they'd blow up an air mattress and they would sleep for a few hours and they would practice pan for 10, 12 hours a day. And then they would have a performance on top and then they would do it again. So when we go and see a performance from, say, the Crossman or some other band in DCI, we just see, wow, these people are amazing. They're tremendous musicians. They're tremendous artists. And we just see this. But many of us have no clue of the hours and the hours and the hours and the hours and the hours that have gone in to being that kind of band, that, those kind of performers. And what Paul is saying, pray all the time. Pray 10, 12, 14 hours a day. Pray. And what this does, it gives us character. Not in the kind of pull up your bootstraps and you got character. That's not what I'm talking about. Character in the sense that we're defined by a people who pray. We're defined by a people who pray and we receive the peace that passes all understanding. We are defined by the character that says, I trust in the Lord because he's given me his peace. And that is a result of this practice of prayer. We are to be praying at all times, in all situations, for all things, because we have the confidence and the comfort and we have the character of being defined by prayer. And now we have the peace that passes all understanding. It's this practice that shapes us, that molds us and makes us into this kind of people. This is what prayer does. So as we enter into this series on the Lord's Prayer, may we begin, even here and now today, to pray in all situations. So in every situation, handle with prayer. The result, as we handle things in prayer, is that we have peace. That peace gives us a confidence. It comforts us and gives us a character of people defined by prayer. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we do give you thanks that you call us to be this kind of people. We thank you and we praise you that you allow us by your grace and mercy to enter into your presence where we have access to the creator of the universe. And so we give you thanks for all that you've done for us, all that you've accomplished for us. And so Lord, we come now and we pray and we ask that you would give us your peace, that we would be the kind of people that are defined by prayer, the kind of people that pray in all situations. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen.